Welcome to Live, Leadership, Innovation, Ventures, and Entrepreneurship, a podcast that showcases the talents, skills, and abilities of UT faculty, staff, and students. I'm your host, Brandon Jones, Associate Director for Student Learning and Development in Housing and Dining, and we're excited to have you listening to us. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Leadership, Innovation, Ventures, and Entrepreneurship podcast, better known as Live. I am your host, Brandon Jones, Associate Director for Student Learning and Development in University Housing and Dining at the University of Texas at Austin. And we have a great show for you today because we have my friend whom I consider to be my friend. I don't know if she feels the same way, but I consider her a friend. We have Kaylee Damphus, who serves as the transition coordinator uh, in new student services here at UT Austin. Everybody else on campus calls her Kaylee. I call her Hollywood. <laughs> and I'm really, really, really excited to have Kaylee here today. Kaylee, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. Or be here. I guess we can still say that. <laughs> yeah, we can say that. It's cool. <laughs> right. We'll make it work. I'm glad to be talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad to have you. Listen, uh, it's it's first gen. It's celebration of first gen week. One of my favorite times of the year. Uh, I'm really excited every year around this this week in November, where we take the time to celebrate our first generation students, faculty, and staff. And so, what I want to do is give you an opportunity first to tell people who you are and to talk about your role and also why this week is important. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I work on campus. I'm actually not a first-generation college student, um, but I like to think that I try to represent a lot of our faculty and staff that aren't first-gen on our campus, but mm -hmm. I get a really cool chance to just get to work and know our first-gen students really well because I work, I get to work with you, Brandon. That's how we became friends. Yeah. Um, housing is I run the living learning community on campus and it started off as 22 students. Now it's 42 students this year. Ooh. So it's been a lot of fun expanding it, but it's been a lot of fun getting to know the students on an individual level rather than just like first gen students in the ether. <laughs> like I get to know individual students and I think it's important. I think when I came in and I knew I was going to be working with first gen students and a lot of the things that we, you know, I'm just told like, we're going to make these programs. We're going to do all these things. And I was like, Oh, we're going to make sure that they like know how to do finances and resources, all these, okay, we're going to give them all this information. And I had to be really taught and slowed down. Like, no, it's a, a huge part of it is celebrating what they've already done mm -hmm. because a lot of their families are very supportive and very excited and very proud of them. I think it can be challenging to understand the grandness of like everything they do every single day to get to November 8th. And I work in new student services. So I, I think through students through like the first year role, but it's like, mm -hmm. you know, they've done so much from like high school to apply and then to like go to orientation and then to come to campus or to go through school. And then now it's November and they've already done so much. And so I think it's a really cool time to just be like, you've actually done two months of school successfully. You are still here. Right. And even though we haven't finished even this first semester for a lot of our, for our first year students um, that are first gen, we still get to like hang out with you and say, you've done an awesome job. So it is fun. It, it has that buzz in the air. You know, people are like excited to be around because like, 
they understand school and they've already been a part of it. And I think that's a huge reason why we call it a celebration week is that it's about celebrating the accomplishments that they've already done. Not really about focusing on what they lack, (laughs) but like what they've already accomplished. So I think that's why it's exciting and why like our whole campus really comes together to make it like in a giant week, a week of celebration. Yeah. So earlier you were talking about not being uh, first gen and getting this immense responsibility to oversee this first gen living learning community. And then uh, this first gen student experience and myself not being first gen, but also doing so much work with first generation students. Talk to me, talk to the folks out there that are listening that are thinking about, especially in student affairs, going into these roles where they create programming and learning opportunities and engagement moments for students, uh, but they themselves are not first gen. Kind of talk about what that's been like for you and what are some of the things that you've learned? Yeah, I think for me, it was it it almost at first, and I, I don't want to make this sound like bigger than it was, I felt like oh no, I don't want to feel like an imposter in this. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm doing all these things, but I can't relate to them. And for me, like being able to understand and empathize, like, and I think that's so important for our students. And so I try to set up a lot of those relationships, interactions with with my students that are first gen, with first gen faculty and staff so that they can see people accomplish that. But Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, and I've told you this before, but I consider myself like almost the opposite of a first gen student. I went to school that my dad worked at. So like my dad clearly achieved his degree. He was actually a first gen student, but, um, but he was there. And, but I always think about the times that I needed help and I knew exactly who to go to. Um, and it was my dad <laughs> and I still go to my dad a lot, <laughs> thankfully, um, just a phone call away. But right. I, I remember going to like take a math test and I like sillily forgot a calculator. <laughs> and so I was like going there and I forgot a calculator and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm about to take a test and I don't have an essential tool. And so I called my dad and his office was right next door and I walked in and got a calculator and went to the test. And But I think about that all the time where it's like, I'm sure students make mistakes. Like I made a mistake that time and I had a backup and I had a huge backup and not for that. And for many, many other reasons for like suggestions to like, these are like cool internships and study abroad. And also just telling people like, oh, like telling me like you can do it. And like, this is something that is expected. I want you to experience all of college. Um, so I think it took me going through that process in, a, in an odd way, thinking about all the time that my dad was able to help me in a very like special way and something that I'm so appreciative of um, to appreciate like kind of the grit of our students that like they have, they may still have a first call. They may still call their mom or their dad. And I hope they do. Um, but their parents may not have that like instant answer or that just like, just go talk to your professor. Like, it'll be fine. Like just, you know, they're people, it's going to be okay. Like they, they may not have that context. And so it's just, it's not really that they're lacking anything. It's just that they don't have the experience to kind of speak to that firsthand knowledge. Uh, right. So for me, it was kind of thinking about not underestimating how special my college experience was because I was able to have that support um, and like assistance mostly and just like knowledge <laughs> passing down um, and, and thinking that our students, like they have to rely on themselves in a major way. And I think that's why we try to celebrate our students is that they're they're just making and carving their own path. Um, so I think my advice for 
faculty staff and first gen has become, I'm so glad it's become like more and more popular. Like it's always at the conferences that I'm at. And um, now it, it was only made first gen day, like three or four years ago. Like this Mm -hmm. is kind of a young holiday. Yeah. Um, yeah. a week, (laughs) you know, so it's not like first gen has been like in the conversation. It's been in the conversation for a long time, but I think it's like gaining steam, which is awesome. And I think people are wanting to know like how to get involved or how to help students, like whenever they're in their classrooms or whatever. But I think just thinking through their experience, like how their family members helped them and like how challenging it might have been not to have that. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, of course, like listening. I, I, a lot of, if you ask students and if they're first gen, they will tell you pretty quickly, like, how was your first year going? Like, well, I'm first gen and it's been kind of hard because like, I can't have this. Like, I think people know that it's, it's kind of challenging to not have an instant form of like Google for college, you know, yeah, and a yeah. lot of people have their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure you had something like that where you're just like, oh, I can just call my parents who like kind of understand how, mm-hmm. what credit hours are, you know, because it's kind of confusing or just know, like not even just the vocabulary, but just know like, even though you're only in like 12 or 15 hours a week, mm-hmm. that like, that means that's so much extra work outside of the classroom mm-hmm. too. Like just understanding like what your days and your weeks kind of look like. How important is that? The vocabulary, because when you think about the experience of a first gen college student, I mean, every, there's no one size fits all experience because they're coming from everywhere with a plethora of experiences from various backgrounds and identities, et cetera. And so, but that vocabulary is fairly consistent, you know, credit hours, registration, a residence hall, a meal plan, all of those things. And this is, this is a new language. And so can you talk to everyone listening about what that's like, especially our faculty who may be listening to this, you know, what that's like for a student and why, some of their students may be experiencing academic difficulty uh, in their respective classes because this is a this is a new language for those students. And, and, and just to give a number, you know, in the residence halls alone, and this is just from students who chose to let us know. Um, I think in our last data collections in our survey in a previous year, 27 percent of the people that lived just in the residence halls, that's not including 2,400 new ACEs and mm-hmm. our uh, graduate and family housing, but in the residence halls alone, 27% of the people that lived with us identified as first gen. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot out of almost 7,500 people. That's a lot of folks. So <laughs> why is the vocabulary so important to help mm-hmm. our students get more familiar with? Yeah, I think it's like anything. And when I think about our first-gen students, I have to think about like, what is it that they're lacking? Like they are clearly very intelligent, like they are quick and bright. Um, The thing that they're lacking is that cultural capital and part of culture is language. And so understanding how you and I communicate to each other as people that have been through college and have worked at a college and and we can say all sorts of things like yield. And um, even when we say resilience and, and we understand what that means to us as, as, as colleagues that work in higher education. Um, I think thankfully our students who are, I think they have a lot of great help from maybe even media or from, you know, their college counselors, you know, through, you know, in high school and things to kind of get them a little bit familiar. But unfortunately, and I work in orientation. So um, if anyone should know about how to orient students to college, it should be me. But Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we have to keep reminding ourselves and keep thinking like, okay, if I'm saying an acronym, um, even like UT specific 
language. Like we say, and this was new to me, like we say accounts receivable here, where to like everywhere else it's bursar, you know, like, and, and bursar mm -hmm. is a confusing term too. So, Andy. and we don't know the difference between, and thankfully we've made it a lot more centralized with the Texas One Stop, but it is- it, Shout out to Texas One Stop. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, they're incredible, but I mean, it used to be financial aid and then accounts receivable and then you have like my you have all these systems in place that you have to interpret and understand how it applies to you right now but also how it's going to apply to you in like two months when you're actually doing school so it's just a lot it's a huge process so trying to really break it down into like this is what you need to know right now and this is what you need to know in a couple of months so like let's let's slow it down a little bit um but i think being thoughtful about our language is absolutely important and that's for you know, a lot of different populations, but definitely for our first-gen students. And I want to tie that into something else that you said earlier when you brought up trying to approach things from an achievement perspective and not a deficit perspective. And I think the <laughs> folks that have listened to this, this podcast enough know that I'm a fan of the anti-deficit framework. <laughs> I, I focus on the, what worked rather than what didn't work, right? When I did my dissertation, that's what I chose to focus on. I wanted to come from an anti-deficit yeah. achievement framework. And so why is it important in the language that we use as faculty, the language that we use as staff, the brochures that we send out, the direct mailers, all of that stuff, why is it important that we we approach our students as we're recruiting them and helping them from orientation to graduation? Why is, why is it important that we come at it from a achievement perspective and not a deficit perspective? I think the simplest answer is that it's true. <laughs> like our, our students are clearly very, to the fact that they have gone through the same education system and gotten good grades and worked hard and been able to be accepted into UT is a huge accomplishment for any student. Um, but the fact that students, that first-gen students also had to understand like how to apply, that there's fees involved, that there's scholarships, that all these things, like there's so much that goes into it mm -hmm. that they probably had to do a lot of that research on their own or at least seek help. And, and that's a huge part for our first-gen students that it's, it's challenging to see, it's for anybody, it's challenging to seek help, you know, because that kind of signals that you don't know something um, and it kind of puts you in a vulnerable spot. So um, I, I think it's a huge lesson for a lot of people. And this is for, once again, any population that you have, like these are students that are first-gen. And so they have done the path that everybody else has had, but they had to do a lot of work ahead of that too. So that that's huge for them. And it's, and one of my students said, it's like a huge milestone in my life that I'm able to go to college and something that I, um, yeah, to go to UT. Absolutely. So I think that when you talk, when you were talking about that deficit earlier, I think that a lot of the times unintentionally, the language we use comes, can, can come across so negative to those students because we're, we're, we're think we always asso associate first gen with struggle rather than achieve, mm -hmm. right? We always mm -hmm. associate, sometimes we associate first gen with some form of a deficit. Oh, well, they're coming in not knowing how to do, they're coming in not mm -hmm. able to do. Some, some people have even almost ventured to 
toe the line, not that I've seen this here at UT, but I've heard language out there in the research and in conferences where sometimes it's almost like a lowering of the bar. And I'm like, well, those aren't the first gen students that I'm encountering. I'm like, they, these are these are some very impressively cerebral, as my colleague Doug Reynolds used to say, <laughs> uh, group of students. And to get into a place like this, it's like they had to know something. So why are we focusing on the struggles and not the strengths? or the things that uh, that they are good at. And so what I've always appreciated about your style is that you take this positive approach. You take this approach to meet them at their strength and you help them cultivate that. And that's something as your colleague, uh, I've always appreciated about working with you and seeing your energy and how you pour into students. I, I just wanted to say, I really do appreciate that. Well, I, I think the same clearly can be said about you. You clearly care a lot about celebrating the students' strengths, but I think that's where we soar. And if you, it's like, you're just taking something that you're already good at and like, you can already be like, Hey, you're doing great. And you've already done this. Like you can do more. Like that is like so motivating. And for me, like, I feel like as soon as I'm told, like, Oh, like I didn't do as well on this one, or I did poorly. It's like, it makes me, it makes it more challenging to like, push past that. And those stories should be celebrated too. Like, you know, we always like the Rudy story where like he gets rejected a million times and like, and then he finally gets in, but it, it's those stories are, you know, impactful because I feel like it's rare, you know, like yeah, if you're yeah. told 14 times that like, you're not going to be playing for Notre Dame, I'm sorry, you're, <laughs> they're going to choose a different path. But right. if you say like, Hey, Rudy, you're such a hard worker. Here's how you can improve. Like, that's really, I mean, maybe that's, maybe Rudy would have gone pro. I don't know. I'm not here to, I'm not here to judge what he could have done, but, um, but yeah, I think using their accomplishments, cause it's true. Um, and in the hard work that they've already done and celebrating that is first of all, it's fun because it's good to be like, look at what you've already done. Let's reflect on this. Let's think about what everything that you've already thought about and, and completed and how we can continue and continue to like feel strong and feel supported in this. I love that. I love that. It's, and you also mentioned um, that our students, and, and I think we see this a lot in, in at schools, especially like UT, where you've got students that were top of their classes and just about everybody was, you know, valedictorian, salutatorian, or somewhere in that top 10%. And as a result, you come to a place where everybody else is like that, uh, seeking help can be seen as a sign of weakness or it can be seen as, oh, you don't have it all together or see that imposter syndrome kicks in and you're like, see, told you you didn't belong here. How do you work with your students on, or what advice would you have for students, uh, both and rather, um, how, what advice do you have for developing help seeking behavior? I think we're already trying to do that. And I think our students are feeling that too, because we're trying to develop pride around being first gen, that it's not a deficit like you talked about. And I think the very, like probably the most interesting thing about being first gen is that it's an identity that you don't have to tell anybody about. And that's kind of dangerous in a way, because I think, especially at orientation, and we started doing a welcome session specifically for first gen students and making it like, hey, this is a space to ask any question that you've had over the past day and a half, because 
if you've been through orientation, any orientation, it's a lot of information and it's overwhelming. And also this year it was virtual. So it was like so many emails, so many calls, so many like things to read and like canvas and all like, there's like almost an outpouring of resources, which is what we're supposed to do and what we want our students to, to have. But then it's like, it, it's can be feel really easy to get lost in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a huge way that students call out their identity mm-hmm. is by asking questions and by saying it like, you know, and so they feel like, okay, I don't want to ask a question because then they'll know, you know, where you wouldn't have to tell them. Like I, for the most part, I show up in a room and people know that I'm a woman. And so like that might have some like different biases or something that leads against me or for me. Um, They might feel like uh, they can talk to me more or whatever. Um, But like my other identities, like are pretty on like display for the most part. But um, for this one, like our first gens are so incredibly diverse and um, they come from all different backgrounds that it's hard to know who our students are. And I think that's where our staff and our faculty have a hard time too, especially in the classrooms. Cause it's like, they look in a room and they know vaguely that 25% of the students are first gen, but they don't know who they are. So they don't right. know how to help. Right. Um, so all that leads me to uh, say that we want to generate pride around being first gen and that it's a good thing that they've done and also that their families have helped them feel empowered enough to like be part of too um and i don't want to leave you know i don't want to make it a deficit against the family and that's something that uh i'm passionate about because i don't want to like leave our family members out of the loop because they um they have also worked really hard to help and make our students feel supportive as well um and they are not uh and they are bright and smart people as well um but uh, but encouraging our students to be like happy for their family's experiences and for their own experience and saying like, it's okay that to ask for help. And that once again, all students continue generation, first generation students all ask for help. And, and it, you shouldn't feel out of it in any way if you need to clarify what language is or what the difference between these different offices are, because UT is a system and it's a confusing system at times. And for me who works within the system, I'm sure for you too, it's like, wait, where do I go to for this? And I work here and I have colleagues who work here and it's still confusing. So you got to ask for help. Sometimes you got to call your people. Well, speaking of that, I think that uh, another thing that I really, I've often found myself whenever I do updates about our living learning communities and when the first gen uh, LLC comes up, one of the things that I found that I really respected you for a lot was how you would go to dinner. Like I would see you at dinner with your <laughs> students all the time. I, just, I remember when you, had, cause you know, for those that don't know um, if, if you're a partner within our living learning communities, one of the things that we try to do is uh, within the dining facilities, we try to create a way for our partners to be able to eat with their students. And you were the first partner in years to run out of money. And, and we, Chelsea and I were looking at the budget and we were like, wait a second, we've never had this happen before. Like, and it wasn't a bad thing. It was just the fact that nobody ever runs out. And so that's what caused me to, one day I was in the dining hall and I saw you there at like 5.45 having dinner with students. And I'm going, that is what it's all about. I mean, I'm not saying that people who don't have dinner with their students are bad people. That's not what I'm saying at all. But to see the look and the interaction and to see the energy that the students were giving because they were having dinner with a staff member, 
that's a different experience. And I feel, and I really feel like um, that's probably one of the most effective things I think you all did uh, in your first year. Talk to us about what inspired you to be present in that way? Like out of all the ways that you could be present, lunch, programming, office hours, you chose a dinner. Talk to us about why that was the way that you chose to uh, engage with your students. And what were the results of that, if you don't want to mind sharing? Uh, no, yeah, uh, thank you. I think that was very kind of you to say. And I think I want to thank you for providing me dinner every other week. <laughs> so I, I didn't realize that I, I went through it as more quickly than I probably should have. So I probably should have. No, no, no. You can use it as that's why we give it to you. It was just yeah. that. No one had ever done it. And so we were just like, wait, what are we missing? Like, what's going on? And so when we saw that you were doing that, it was like, well, heck yeah, let's make sure that they're able to do this. It's a successful program for them. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, it, it, multiple benefits, first of all. Like, I, they live in Jester West, and my office is in the Student Services Building. Um, which is about 15 minutes away um, and out of the way student services building. I wish I worked like at the union or at Gregory gym or at WCP or whatever, um, which is right next door to Jester West or, but it, it's out of the way. And so I would have my check-ins with my students and I'd be at my office and a lot of them were very kind and came to my office. And so they walked all the way over, but, you know, and we met bi-weekly for meetings. And a lot of times during our meetings, once again, it was about giving information about being with each other and um, making sure that the students felt like, okay, I have something more to add to my tool belt. I wanted that interaction with students with each other, really, if anything, and just like encourage people to be able to like share a meal with one another. I think that's very important and, and for it to feel like family. And I think one of the best things and that housing has done, I'm so like eager about this is that, or I was like very passionate. I didn't realize that this was a thing until I was like having dinner with you and, and other folks is that students could go into one of the dining halls for free. Like they could swipe their card, but they didn't have to like pay. It was was unlimited. Like they could just swipe as much as they wanted. And so it was like a way to just like, let's share something and it's, it's accessible for everybody. And so we'd have students that just came and they're like, I already ate or I'm not really hungry right now. And they just come and sit and talk with, you know, us for an hour before our meetings. I think that was a really awesome thing that housing decided to do um, to make that free for our students or Free. It. it was part of the unlimited plan. Unlimited plan. <laughs> Clarity. It wasn't free. Because I don't want my catering and dining director calling me like, we are giving away meal plans. <laughs> Make sure so happen. Yeah, the, uh, unlim- yeah, the unlimited plan just meant that they could come back as many times as they wanted. And you're right. advantage, which we appreciate because that's why we <laughs> And that's the reason we created it, because we don't want any one. We didn't want any food insecurity happening on our watch. And then, two, we never wanted an opportunity for a student to miss an opportunity to interact with a faculty member or a staff member because they ate at two. And now they can't like we never wanted that to be a barrier. And so that unlimited plan opened that door. And I'm just glad. And again, I it's one of the first things that I noted was that students in your LLC were taking advantage of that in a good way. And I'm like, go eat, please dine, give us feedback because that's how we get better. And so no, I, I just appreciated seeing what you all have done uh, in that space with that. Yeah, no, it was fun. You know, it was a good time for it to feel very relaxed um, with with one another and hopefully with me. And I think it's kind of funny. I feel like I'm reaping this 
like my seeds or sowing my seeds now more than I did last year, even like it, it takes about, and maybe I'm just because I'm like 10 years older than our students. Now I feel like I reached that point where I'm like, it's slightly less relatable. Um, and that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. That's natural. Still laughing at your jokes. You're still relatable. <laughs> I could still like try to get in with the lingo, but I'm not quite like, I don't think I'm seen as a peer anymore. Um, which nah. was kind of a sad turning for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be like, oh man, they don't see me as this uh, person to just like hang out with. But I think now um, I, I still have great interaction with a lot of the students because I spent, it takes hours to get to that comfort level. It takes like maybe like a hundred hours or something or 50 hours with students. And so that's counting like presentations and dinners and check-ins and, and group me even and like text, like just getting that comfort level and that trust. And so that's, that's a huge part. And thankfully I had like, last year was my first year doing the LLC. So it was 20 students basically. So it was like, I would love to have dinner for, with folks for, you know, with about 10 or whoever wants to come um, and just hang out with you all. It felt very like intimate in a, in a way, like very just like casual and, um, it, and it got to the point where it was just something to look forward to for on my side too. And hopefully on their side too. I, I didn't force them. It was very optional. Uh, it, it looked it looked like they were ha- every time I saw it, it looked like y'all were having fun. So I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing with those students. I know that you've got a, a, a meeting with the student coming up, and so I want to make sure I honor your time there. Um, how's it been virtually? Because I know that given there, because there are struggles for every student, mm-hmm. um, and I'd imagine there there would be some more with our first generation students, especially those who've never come, been in the college environment yet, and mm-hmm. now they're experiencing working with you all virtually. Can you mm-hmm. talk to us about what that's been like? I think, and it, to me, this has been a very clear distinction from this year to other years. Um, which is we have a lot of students that are, even though our living learning community, living, I'm, I'm air quoting for our podcasters, um, living learning community, um, typically our students, you know, on a normal year, they graduate, they go to orientation, they go home, they pack up their stuff, they pack up their lives and they end, they cut off a lot of ties and then they move into the residence halls and then they live in the same hall with people that are also first gen. And that's what a living learning community is. And that's, you know, and even without a living learning community, there's that kind of cutoff of like, this was my home life and my high school life. And now I'm about to start over in, in one sense or another um, at UT Austin. Mm-hmm. However, I think with our students that have chosen um, for numerous reasons, for various reasons to stay at home um, and for for good reasons for a lot of times and for our first gen students, that cutoff is not clear of packing up my life and starting at college. Um, And for, and once again, to the families who are supportive, but the context maybe isn't as clear it's hard to understand why a student may not be able to watch their sibling and make sure that they're going to all their classes because mm-hmm. um, they were able to do that in high school, you know, in May. Why can't they do that in August or September? Um, what has changed when it's like, so it's just understanding like the responsibility of our students or, or 
uh, work. A lot of students would have quit their hometown jobs and like basically started unemployed for a month or two until they found a job in October um, or whenever they decided to get a job either at UT Austin or like around Austin. But now they're keeping their high school jobs. And once again, that's confusing potentially to employers that are like, you used to be able to work all day Saturday and all day Sunday and in the evenings. And like, why is that different now that you're at college? Um, and I think for a lot of people, they may work up to that caliber of like being being a full-time college student and studying and doing organizations and having another job. But I think for our college students, it's really, and for our first college students, it's really a struggle because college is hard to understand. And it's hard to get into, it takes time to get into the rhythm of it, of knowing like, okay, I'm going to be present during the Zoom call, which is, we all know can be kind of challenging. This is fun, but like, it can be like hard to just listen for a while. But then I also have to study and do homework like after that. And I have to put in like two extra hours into every Zoom call that I'm in. Um, and knowing that is really hard for our, for our students that are on campus. You know, I can't imagine, and I, I've been able to talk to students that are off campus and it it is hard because they, you know, live in a, their childhood bedrooms that they might share with a sibling and uh and the roles are just different but sometimes it's hard for family members and even for students to understand that it's that it is different and there's just not a natural cutoff anymore I think that's the main thing is that typically there is just like a bow <laughs> you know leaving leaving your hometown life and even if you live in Austin leaving like your home life um, and then being able to start over and to decide what your semester looks like. And I think that's really challenging um, for our students and, and even for our on-campus students, I've heard a lot of hesitancies of getting involved. Like they're just gonna wait until it's back to normal, which I would encourage like, and I have encouraged like start when you can, yeah. um, you know, but I think a lot of people feel a little bit hesitant to potentially start like that college experience, even if they're on campus. And so mm -hmm. I think that's something that's facing all of our students, but especially our first-year students whose families potentially aren't like encouraging them to get involved. Like I think my, I think once again, back to my dad experience, like he was like, you need to do all these things that are outside of the classroom because that's what makes you a better learner in general. Um, but potentially for families and, uh, you know, not just first-gen families, but all for families, like just focus on your studies and that'll make you, that'll make you the best student when in fact it, it's kind of inverse than what you think. And if you don't have that experience, that can be kind of confusing. Ah, I want, I wish I could ask you the other question I wanted to ask because you were, you ask. let me, let me just text my student real fast. Okay, please. While, while, you're while you're typing. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask was out of everything you had just named, do, or do you feel like so a lot of students aren't getting involved, not just first gen, but do you feel like that's the reason why a lot of students aren't getting involved? Because they're like, well, I'm just going to wait till life gets back to normal because I don't mm. want to emotionally invest in this organization now. And then we get another restriction and then we can't come back for another year or something like that. Do you feel like that's what that's the students are just kind of withholding hope a little bit there? I got it off just, just in time. Um, I think the pandemic makes life feel like it's on pause and that's in multiple ways. Um, but we can, you know, you can talk about all sorts of things and there's been a lot of plans that are held on hold, you know, vacations and weddings and baby showers and you know, life continues to happen. It's not like 
life has paused in any sense. Like I am still going to die on the same day in the future. I, I don't get this time back, but it still feels like this past, this whole year, Rapali, for a lot of people feels like, oh, I'm just waiting for it to start. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's how a lot of our students feel like I'm going to do what I have to do. And that is a very good survival mode. Like I'm going to do what I have to do right now to like get through. But then whenever life starts again, then I'm going to do everything that I hoped for. And I think that is potentially a lost opportunity. And it's really hard to encourage our students to just say, you know, just hop on another Zoom call. Like, I promise you it'll make your life so much better. And, you know, and whenever things you get to become in person, then you have all these friends and all these things. And you may be familiar with this. Like, there's typically like a sophomore slump. Like, it gets a little bit harder to like, you know, like you're kind of familiar, but like you're not fully acquainted with your college experience yet you're doing a lot of exploring and you know like the explorative phase feels a little bit over in your freshman year and mm -hmm. and, and so it's kind of hard to get plugged harder to get feel plugged in your sophomore year sometimes yeah. um so that makes me sad for our students because i i can totally relate and i think our whole the whole world can relate that it does feel like our world is on pause right now um but our classes are still continuing and your life is still continuing. So we have to make the best of it and take, take these opportunities as we're, as they're being provided right now. But that's really, I'm, but I honestly, I honestly empathize because it's not easy <laughs> no, to like, be like to sign up for something extra, you know, to, we're already like trying to encourage our students to like get out of your comfort zone. But now it's like, <laughs> you have to really try really hard to like make friends in this time. Like there's no more like friends of convenience right now. Like it is people that you have to specifically reach out to and be like, you seem cool. I seem cool. Let's hang out. And that's right. hard for students. It's hard for people to do, but especially, you know, it's, it's a hard skill to learn at 18 years old. <laughs> Well, Kaylee, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I told you time, before we started the show, I said the time goes by when she starts talking. Like it just it just really flows. And I really, really, really appreciated having you on the show today. Are there any other things you want folks to know or especially with this week? We got a series of events out there. We'll, I'll make sure that we get the link posted in the uh, liner mm -hmm. notes. But um, is there anything else you want folks to know about UT, uh, about I can't believe you didn't talk about being an Oklahoma girl. I was like, that's going to show up. That's, a, that's something I don't like to share with people. I don't want... <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, I think the main thing is that first in week is happening this week. There's a lot of events happening um, Thursday. Typically, traditionally, Thursdays are like our week to really celebrate. So um, you and I will be together probably for Longhorn Harvest coming on Thursday. So I'm excited about that. Um, we also have an interview. Actually, well, it's not an interview with Dr. Hartzell. It's Dr. Hartzell interviewing first gen students. So it's like kind of a cool thing to like he's interested in the first gen students and their experience. So it's kind of like this, but he gets to talk a little bit about, you know, what he thinks about first gen um, and that experience as well. Um, that's happening on Thursday, but there's a lot going on. There's events every day this week. So you can go to firstgeneration.utexas.edu. Um, I'll be there. Say hi. <laughs> now that I'm podcast famous. Yes. Okay. Hey, listen, you're UT podcast famous. That's, that's right. <laughs> I um, something. 
<laughs> but this has been a pleasure. This is fun. I wish we could have had like two more hours. Oh man, like listen, that it, it, that could easily. I don't know if the people would have wanted to hear both of us just chatting on for two hours, but uh, we'll definitely, definitely well. got to have you back. We'll definitely got to have you back in the future to talk about you know how how all these things are progressing, especially as you all continue to grow. Uh, that living learning community is definitely dynamic, and it's a wonderful experience. And if you're a undergraduate student listening and you're considering the University of Texas uh, at Austin and you happen to be first gen and want to get an on-campus residential experience, I strongly recommend our LLCs, but I definitely recommend our first gen LLC. You get to meet Kaylee firsthand. So thanks. I ain't bad. Um, We're not bad people, but thank you so much, Brandon. This is fun. I've never done anything like this before, but it was nice just to be able to chat about this and everything that you're doing too. I know we don't, you don't get to talk very much about all the work that you're doing, but I I really appreciate it. And you very much inspire me and your leadership. Honestly, I I really consider you like a mentor. Uh, Thank you. But like, don't get too big headed about it. And on that note, (laughs) thank you, Kate. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To catch the next installment, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We'll see you next time.